Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to the second class in our mini-series called Even the Darkness, taken from Psalm 139. Sometimes we feel like we're in the darkness. Is God with us in the darkness? We're talking about mental health challenges, emotional well-being, and spirituality. How do we process this ourselves when we're going through these difficult times? And how can we help one another? How can we support one another in a healthy, appropriate way when our emotional well-being is threatened or those around us is or our mental health is not as we would wish it to be? Last time we had a class, uh, an interview with Jim Pickett. I hope that was helpful. This one is similar in that it's another interview, but it's with two very different people. It's with Sekai and Nossi, who are mental health nurses and members of our sister congregation in East London. I think you'll find it very helpful. I hope you do. Uh, this is there's a short version and a longer version of the interview. The longer one, about an hour, I think. The shorter version, 20-odd minutes. You can watch both or either. Uh, but I hope you find it helpful. And as you listen to what Nossi and Sekai have to say, ask yourself the question, what is God what is God bringing to your attention here, either for yourself or for other people around you? Without further ado, let me hand you over to the interview with uh, Sekai and Nossi. Uh, my name is Miro Gucci, as you know, or Sekai. Um, I am a mental health nurse. Um, my background in my, pro- my profession, well, I've been in mental health for the past 20 years. Mm. I started off working in acute ward, acute mental health. And then I moved to community drug and alcohol. So I did that for about five years, and then I moved to community mental health nursing, CPN. After that, I left the NHS after my my CPN experience and um, started working as a self-employed nurse. Throughout this period, I worked in prison. Uh, In prison, I worked with uh, inmates that abuse substances, so part of the healthcare but focusing on the um, drug and alcohol. Um, So I did uh, about two jobs in that, and then I moved on to prescribing in community uh, drug and alcohol teams. I am a nurse prescriber as well. So I have been doing that, uh, you know, the bulk of my career. I've been uh, prescribing for people with drug and alcohol misuse. Uh, So drug and alcohol misuse goes hand in hand with mental health. So it's dual diagnosis. So I have been working with people with mental illness as well. Um, Currently, um, I work for a charitable organization called Social Interest Group. Um, I am the clinical lead, the the, the group clinical lead. The charity uh, works with people with mental illness, providing supported living. And we also have a drug and alcohol detox in London. I mean, like the only um, sort of NHS uh, detox unit left in London, the rest have closed down. So I support that uh, detox unit as well. Um, So that's my background in terms of of my career. Um, About eight years ago, while we were in the North sector, North and I, we, as a as mental health practitioner, we observed uh, people um, with mental illness. I mean, as practitioners, sometimes just a brief interaction with somebody, mm. we can tell. So we could see different people coming and sometimes we just talk among us ourselves and say, that sister, you think she's got a problem. After some time, we felt we can't go on doing this. We need to do something. So we approached leadership and uh, requested if we could start like um, start with a workshop to uh, to raise uh, mental health, because all these people with mental illness, some of them didn't talk about it. Some of them would see them not coming to church. So we did that in the north and um, um, just held a workshop, raising awareness, signposting, and it really changed things from that workshop people opened up. So people started approaching us on an individual basis. Um, and actually some of the people, I'm still in touch with them in the North while I'm in the East, they still contact me. So people started uh, approaching us for help for loved ones. Um, so we've been doing that since. So when we moved into to the East, uh, we carried on. Um, yeah, I'll leave the rest to Nossi. 
That's terrific. Thank you. You've been doing this a long time. Yeah. Uh, yes, you, thank Nancy? you. Yeah, thank you, Malcolm. Um, yeah, uh, Sakai and I actually trained together at Middlesex University. Um, this is where she met me and this is how I became a disciple because she reached out to me, which I'm I very that bit. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm very grateful for. Um, because yeah, my life was really transformed and I thank God for that. So yeah, we both qualified um, the same year in 2003. I went on to uh, work with um, what we call forensic nursing, which is like a specialist. These are people who would otherwise be in uh, prison, but have committed like uh, people who have committed crimes, but uh, have gone on to uh, because of their mental health uh, issues. So instead of being in prison, they are brought in hospital so that they can be um, nursed and uh, be rehabilitated in hospital. Um, I, I, I worked just for a year in the prison service just to um, what we call like gatekeeping uh, for those prisoners who um, would um, suffer mental health, just to make sure that um, you know, they were in the proper place or did they need hospital. Um, just for a year, I did that and went back to my uh, job. I have, um, yeah, since 2003, that's um, mainly what I've done. And I've gone on to um, do nest prescribing as well, um, just for people who, um, who we look after, because um, independent nest prescribing, you can only prescribe within your uh, specialist. Um, then I went on to... Um, work uh, for two and a half years, went on to work as um, uh, with the compliance team uh, who work very closely with the CQC, who make sure that um, uh, people in hospitals are looked after properly or adequately. Um, so I did that for two and a half years. I've gone back now to uh, back to forensics. And this time I am a modern matron uh, and I look after four wards. Uh, for people who are really ill and for people who are ready to be discharged as well. So, yeah, I think Sekai has said most of the things because, um, yeah, the North, that's what we did. And um, we've done it again in the, uh, we're doing it in the East. And we have also supported um, people with uh, within the pandemic when uh, the need arose. Um, and we have um, done a few sessions about grief and how to uh, support people who have um, suffered loss during this um, pandemic and um, any kind of loss really, whether it's financial or um, you know losing a beloved one. So that's me in a nutshell. Thank you, Malcolm. Mm. Thank you very much, Nossi. Thank you both for filling me in. Uh, you've got a wealth of experience there. And I really love the way that you found ways to not only bless people in the world with that, but also help people in the church. Because, you know, the, the world and the church, there's overlap. And, you know, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't have any problems anymore, mm. including um, mental health and emotional well-being. So. I think it's terrific you've done that. I'm really glad you got a chance to do that in the north. And I think, have you done a, a workshop in the east as well? Is that right? Yes, we have. Yes, I've had a yeah. It's something we maybe should consider. We've not, we've done some teaching, but we haven't done a workshop as such, uh, either in Watford, where I am, or in Thames Valley. So that's something for me to think about, actually. Can't do it now, uh, but maybe for the future. I really enjoyed, well, enjoy is the wrong word, but I learned a lot when I went to a um, a thing put on by Mind, the, the charity Mind, um, mm. and they did a mental health first aid training day. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I went on ooh, 15 or more years ago now, uh, somewhere in North London, actually. Um, so I found that, I mean, I was very basic, obviously, but it was very helpful because it just begins to open your mind open your eyes yeah. to what you're mm. not seeing it's there but you don't know what you're looking for mm. all the time terrific well look can i start with something fairly um and, and you you know you don't <laughs> by the way you don't have to answer any of these questions okay these are just mine <laughs> and that you know they're not from god so uh 
you can answer them or you can take them in the direction you want all right so yeah. but don't feel obliged um but one of the things i think is still a bit of an issue is there's still a bit of this sort of sense of stigma um in the world in general but in the church maybe even more so than the rest of the world sometimes i think there's a bit of a stigma of saying i have a significant emotional health issue or a significant mental health issue i don't really want to talk about it or i don't want to face it and sometimes i think that's because there's an assumption not everybody but at least for some people that well if i was doing better spiritually i wouldn't be having these problems and i wonder how you process that how do you think about that that um how would you let's say if a christian was talking to you and say oh that's interesting you're in mental health and you know and i but i'm not really sure that in the church we need this kind of stuff and because it's really all just about you know as long as you pray and have faith you'll be fine is there a way that you help people to think differently about that yeah i'll answer Sakai. you can add on to, um, um if you uh, would like to so th there is a problem nationwide and the whole world um worldwide i think uh, regarding mental health people with um, mental health normally do not want um to come forward to say, I suffer from this, which is quite um, sad because when we are diabetic, we are quick to say to people, you know what, I need a cup of tea immediately after church because my blood sugars are low. But we don't do that with mental health because of these stigmas. And I think for me, it's about telling people it's okay. Your mind sometimes will, will suffer because of the stressors that we have in, in, in the world that we live in. For instance, if I take, for example, the pandemic, it has affected people differently. Mm. And differently in the sense that those who are predisposed to having mental health will suffer more than anybody else. And it is up to us, I think, as um, you know, the ch our children of God to, to look after each other. But if I don't tell people, that you know what, the, sometimes I do really, really suffer from stress. And when that happens, I just want to hide. I just want, don't want to talk to people. I just want to be on my own. And when I'm like that, you know, um, I really don't want anyone around, but it's when I need people around. We don't say these things a lot. So people, we don't know how to help people. And because of this stigma, it doesn't help at all. Um, that we we are not open enough about it. And as a church, um, I think we need to find out from people, there is something that we always talk about that is called an advanced decision. This is for people who know that they've got a mental health problem or a mental health issue, and they make an advanced decision to say, if I'm like this, they make that decision when everything is going okay, so what uh, they do is, okay, I have a mental health illness and normally I'm very anxious. I do this, I do this, however it affects them because mental health affects people differently. And so you make that, uh, you know, make that um, decision well in advance so that people know how to support you. And then there is not that stigma because we know we are brothers and sisters in the church. We should be helping each other we should be aware, we should be in each other's lives. And when we talk about being in each other's lives, these are some of the basic things that we should know. Is there something in our discipling relationships? Is there something that you need to tell me? Are you susceptible to a lot of stress more than anybody else? If you are in that situation, how can I help you? It helps to reduce that stigma. People know that, you know what, when I've got a headache, I take paracetamol. And when I take paracetamol, people are like, oh, are you okay? What's wrong with you? You just say, I've got a headache. And it's exactly, if we only accepted mental health like that as well, that sometimes our mind does uh, uh, lose, uh, um, lose it as well. So it's okay to have that. But it is said that we are in this um, state of having this stigma because we don't talk about it as if it's another illness just as people who um who have a headache or who have um you know arthritis who readily tell people so we should be looking after each other mm. yeah I, I would also add um 
to a brother or sister who'd approached me with mental illness in church that um, mental, mental health illness is a reality. And we know according to WHO statistics that it affects one in, it's now one in three people who have mental illness. And um, various factors, as Nosi mentioned, some people are more susceptible than others. So because of that fact that it's an illness, I think the thing for people to understand that it's, all, it's an illness just like any other illness. So whether you are a Christian or not, you'll be affected by mental illness. And also the fact that um, prayer, we don't say if somebody is, you know, has symptoms or their health um, is suffering and maybe the symptoms of cancer are manifesting, we don't just say pray for, for those symptoms to go away. So the same with mental illness, that there is a point where professional help is needed. Um, so the thing to emphasize would be prayer alone is not sufficient. And also um, to know that there is a point where professional help will be needed. And as a church to be able to, to, to support, for people to be open. I think the, the critical thing, stigma, we know it exists with mental illness, but within the family of church, if people can be empowered to speak and which was our aim and which we've sort of managed really to um, achieve in some way with people asking, we've had people, people calling us and say, I've got a colleague with, with this symptom. So opening up and ask and, and speaking is the, the important thing that we can do as brothers and sisters to give people a safe environment um, so that they can speak about their mental illness. Um, and, and the biggest thing within the family is probably confidentiality. People don't feel safe and they think if they speak about their mental illness, if it's talked about, um, and because of the stigma in the society, they then um, feel very unsafe to speak about uh, about about what they're feeling or, or the symptoms that they're, they're experiencing. So it's the assurance that um, any of us is susceptible to, to, to mental illness. So we will be affected at some point, but is to seek help. And also the assurance that some uh, mental illnesses is not like permanent. If it's addressed like depression, it can be um, triggered by social situations or a situation somebody is in. And if that's addressed with counseling, at some point, someone can stop taking medication, but we do know anyway, there are some, um, you know, you know um, illnesses where with mental illness, where you have to continue taking medication for the rest of your life. And still that's okay, because it's the same as diabetes and high blood pressure. Those people have to continue taking medication the rest of their life. Yeah, everybody's a bit different. Yes, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's really important to remember, isn't it? Because sometimes people have an idea in their mind about what mental health is about. They'll have a, a film uh, in mind or a, perhaps a family member and then everybody else sort of fits into that. But mm, it's a very yeah. varied situation, isn't it, with different people as to what what the issues are and, mm. and how, it, how it manifests itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that is the danger because what we see on TV it's not really 100% reality because mental illnesses and um, the stigma is people, it's associated with violence, with anger, with all those um, aggression, but it's really not. Sometimes you just suffer inside and not actually be able to even wake up, not even able to, to have the strength to wake up and just open your curtains and have something to eat. So it's very varied and people should understand that it affects um people um very differently yeah yeah there was a period uh, a few years ago now when there was a fella i forget the details but somewhere in london i think in the east of london perhaps who suffered from schizophrenia and killed somebody and it was splashed across all the newspapers of course yeah. and although the papers didn't exactly put it there, or the media didn't exactly put it this way. But nonetheless, the sense was, oh, if someone's schizophrenic, 
I should be afraid of them. And, mm. and this is something to be really afraid of. But that's that's putting two and two and making five. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. again, I think that's the sad bit because um, I have got a brother who suffers from schizophrenia myself, but very loving, very, very, um, you know, um, he doesn't have any aggression. He doesn't. That is one thing that made me come into mental health to kind of think, What's going on? Because as a child, we were really, we, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand. I just knew that he was weird and he would be picked um, on by other people. And you think, oh, what's happening? What's wrong with him? But as a child, I knew. But because of that stigma, my parents never talked about it until mm -hmm. you know we grew up and we knew there was de definitely something wrong with him. And for me, it was just learning that. You know, mm -hmm. it's okay to be different. It's okay not to be like other people. As long as you, um, you know, you take medication and as Sakai has rightfully said, it's not everyone who takes medication for the rest of their lives. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, my brother has, um, you know, continues to take medication and he, he's living a very thriving life in his own um, way. And um, he's not aggressive. He's not, you know, but he's actually, yeah, schizophrenic but he yeah. is leaving, it's not aggressive. Is this isolated cases, um, like the one you mentioned, Malcolm, mm. that really perpetuate the stigma? Um, so then that with reported in media with the use of words psycho and everything. So the, 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 the diagnosis schizophrenia really frightens a lot of people because of the isolated cases because if we count take I mean, a, a, um, a survey of how many uh, people with schizophrenia have killed people they are not that many but because of uh, the prominence is is, is given um, uh, by the media it then just paints it then also even includes all mental illness and then you know right. people then don't want to be identified as suffering from mental illness. Um, situation has improved after this boxer. What what was his name a few years ago? Bruno. Is it Bruno? Oh, Frank Bruno. Yeah. Yes, Frank. when he came up in the open and talked about um, his depression after he was sectioned or something, it has it really helped. And a lot of people then started coming up, Beckham, um, Beckham saying he's um, OCD and everything. It, it sort of really helped um, um, uh, dispelling the myth about mental illness. Schizophrenia, yes, it is um, a, a sad illness. Um, there is a, a cohort who, who will live like that, taking their medication, but there are people who suffer from schizophrenia, but holding very high job taking their medication. The key with schizophrenia is really um, compliance, adherence to the medication. Those who take their medication, they really do well. Um, and then of course they are chronic sufferers, even if they take their medication, there are some residual symptoms like um, their presentation or um, uh, what you call personal hygiene, they will remain with that, but the major symptoms will be suppressed by the medication, but they will remain with that. But it's, it, it, it is a, 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 well, a very sad condition, if not managed well, but if managed well and there's acceptance and um, a compliance to medication, people can continue to live um, a very productive life. Mm -hmm. Thanks, that's so true. Do you think do you think that I okay, tell you what, let me ask you a question about consequences of the pandemic, since that's really, you know, current and although we're beginning to come out of it, A, it's slow. Mm. B, we don't know there may be further variants and problems that could create circumstances for another lockdown, all kinds of things are still possible. But also, thirdly, the emotional and mental health consequences of the lockdown we've already have are going to be with some of us, all of us for some time and some of us for a long time. So if, if let's say I'm talking to a member of the congregation, or if you were, 
to somebody who's really been having an unusually high level of of disturbance in any area, depression, anxiety, OCD, or anything else that you would be aware of that I might not be. And they, you know, it was going on and it's, it seems to be associated with this pandemic. Are there, are there some ways, are there some things you might share with them or some signposting you might do or some ways you might talk to them as a fellow believer, but also as a professional that you think will be a good approach? You know, well, actually more so, let me rephrase that more so not so much for you as a professional actually because there's so few of you that are professionals but for the average christian like me approaching somebody who's got these particular difficulties are there some do's and don'ts maybe that you think would be really important to bear in mind go on Nossi. okay Yes. <laughs> um, what happens is that um, sometimes we don't know um, what somebody is really, really going through. Yeah. And for me, the most important thing is to find out exactly what's happening um, with the person, what it means for them. And then that talk, which is really non-judgmental, where you completely listen because normally what we what tends to happen with mental health, it raises our own anxieties within. And then when somebody's talking, we want to talk over them or say, oh yeah, this happens to me. But sometimes all you need to hear, all you need to do is to hear somebody, let them talk until you feel, you know, you, you they have reached where they want you. Because sometimes it's not about giving advice to people. Sometimes they just want a listening ear. So not to jump to conclusions, just to think, oh, it's because someone wants me to say this or they want me to help them in this way. Sometimes it's about listening and sometimes it's about, okay, what, what have you done? Ask them, okay, what is it that I can help you with? Find out from them, what do you want me to do? Sometimes they don't know. And when they say that, I, I don't know because I feel really, really overwhelmed. Maybe this is when you can say, have you gone to your GP? I would consider you to go to your GP and tell them what you are, you know, you are telling me, are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? Those are the, um, the first things to ask someone because you might find that, yeah, it is the pandemic. Somebody hasn't really been eating well. They haven't been sleeping well. Those things will have a huge, huge impact on our mental health. So for me, it will be really, really finding out and not interjecting when somebody is talking. Find out what they have done because you don't want to tell somebody uh, or give advice about something that they have already done because that is really not helpful sometimes because they think, okay, um, I've already done that, I've already that, done that, and we don't really... Um, you know, sound like we know what you are talking about. And it's, um, you know, finding out from, as you say, Malcolm, there are other people within the congregation, like John Partington, if they can help. And you ask them, do you think, um, you know, I can refer you to somebody who might help you because I don't have the answers. I don't know about um, what you're asking me, but I know somebody who might be able to help you. Okay. Um... Thank you. I would add as well, um, yes, the pandemic has had a huge impact on mental health. Um, you know, people, new diagnosis and making existing conditions worse. Um, talking to a fellow Christian, um, the do's, I would say, um, what we sort of you know talked of in 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 the one uh, workshop we had was to focus on one day at a time um really try to to not plan ahead think ahead because anxiety usually grows when people start thinking widely or globally or thinking ahead of a month or two you then feel very anxious thinking what's going to happen and even as you as you mentioned that thinking of the new variants and every and, and everything thinking too much on those things can actually make things worse can make anxiety worse get people more panicky as they um 
um, try to figure out, um, sometimes worry for, on, on, on things that will not happen. Um, the, the, the other thing as well, we um, were sort of advising people or talking about was not to focus too much on news because that actually you know, make anxiety worse. Just to really select what to watch and you know, thinking of people like who live alone, um, really think seriously whether they want to watch news late at night. If you want to watch, better watch during the day and not um, watch like last thing before going to bed. Because once you do that, um, that's on your mind. You're thinking of what you have seen and playing scenarios. Um, and the, in terms of helping um, signposting, as Nos mentioned, is really to for people to know when to seek help or when to go to a GP, and also to just it it, it actually we actually discover that people were not quite aware with mental illness where to go, and yet the first port of call is the GP, and because of stigma, really people don't want to be seeing calling mental health department or going to a community alcohol, um, uh, um, not a community mental health team. So just knowing that the first call, if you have any symptom is the GP to call your GP. So that sort of make people really, you know, comfortable if they uh, are experiencing anything, knowing that you, you don't have to go to mental health um, uh, team, you can go to your GP whom you are familiar with. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think it's less intimidating for most people mm -hmm. to start there than to start with uh, somebody who's already um, uh, treating them as, as someone with that illness. But, but first of all, a GP kind of exploring the issue mm. and then deciding what comes next is less threatening, I think. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, definitely. I think that's exactly. But this is after, yeah. I think with, with the pandemic, it's um, trying, as Sekai has said, to calm people down because this is affecting everyone. It's affecting mm -hmm. the whole world. All of us are in it, all of us. So it's about, you know, yeah, I understand you. I, um, I can hear you. Um, but at the same time, not dismissing how they feel, because sometimes people don't talk about how they really, really feel, because we're quick to dismiss how they feel. Because, as we say, there are people who are predisposed to having mental health illnesses. And although, yes, um, the pandemic has affected us all, um, almost in the same way, but some people take this really, really seriously to heart that it actually starts to disturb how they feel and it actually stops them in their tracks, which is, um, you know, where we come in as brothers and sisters to know each other deeply. And these are then where we go back to our creator, go back to what we know best in the Bible. And this is being in one another's lives. This is about checking on each other. Sister, I didn't see you on Zoom. How are you, brother? How are you feeling? Is there anything I can do? And if you know somebody really, really deeply, you would know that something is not really right, something. And the world is slowly opening. Now people can go into each other's gardens or meet in the park. Then you can actually see, you know, face to face and see how are they dressed, um, you know, have they been eating, you know, have they, just just find out because we're brothers and sisters and we should be looking after each other. I think it's a really good point. One of the scriptures I shared in our service this morning at Watford was First Peter 2, where it talks about now that you love each other sincerely, love each other deeply mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as brothers or brothers and sisters. And yeah. I think one of the things that what you're talking about has reminded me is that uh, one of the things I learned through talking to people like yourselves about mental health issues and that kind of thing is sometimes people will give you, they'll give you a hint, mm. but they won't tell you directly that there's something deeply wrong because they're not sure if it's safe yet to tell you. 
And so rather than saying, you know, I've been thinking about killing myself, they might just say, I've, you know, I've lost my appetite or mm. I haven't been sleeping well or, and it's not so much that they're being necessarily deceitful. They just don't know maybe quite how to begin a conversation and where to go with it. Yeah. And this has helped me to pay more attention to those simple things that people say, not, mm. not to be too super suspicious, but on the other hand, if someone I know says, um, I haven't been sleeping well, rather than say, oh, that's, that's, that's unpleasant, that can't be nice. Mm. But perhaps to ask a supplementary question, I think it's part of what you might be saying is to say, do you want to tell me more about that? Mm -hmm. Or yeah. is there something yeah. particularly on your mind at the moment? Mm. Something like that? Is that right? Am I on the right track? Yeah, yeah you're right. You're definitely you are on, on the right track. Listening to those hints is, is, is really important. And also, I mean, what you have said that people want tell you exactly what's what's happening because sometimes um when especially maybe on the onset people actually don't know how to verbalize um things will be happening and they don't know like the onset of depression it's, it's just so difficult to know you, you know you the person will lose um interest they will lose motivation so it can come across like someone saying i'm struggling to pray but if we then say, oh, you're not being spiritual, here's another scripture, it won't be helpful. It's just really then to probe more. Why are you struggling to pray? Right. And then they can then say, I, I just feel tired. I lose more. All those, you see, the, the, the symptoms will start to unravel. So it's really important to, to listen to those hints on, um, when people are talking. And that's about loving each other deeply and staying connected. Mm -hmm. um, because if we are not connected, um, it becomes difficult. So even the, the, the person who's experiencing symptoms as well, if they were really connected with people, people would notice and then they would ask them. Um, and, uh, and then other people around can also pick a few things from, uh, from their presentation, from what they say. So yeah, yeah, that, that, it's really important to to probe, um, but unfortunately, um, it's, it, it doesn't come natural to everyone to, mm -hmm. to, to, to probe. People just take what they are told. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. and you are right, Saka. Um, sometimes we, we are not, um, or maybe we are not ready to probe somebody. But again, um, when we know each other, like we know each other, you and me, you definitely know there is something wrong with Nossi. Why hasn't Nossi, um, you know, done this or, um, you know, responded to this when I, you know, asked her? So it's those one-to-one um, -one conversations we had with people, those mm -hmm. friendships we have built over the years, that foundation will never cease because then you would know that, you know, if it's Nossi, I can ask her about this. But mm -hmm. if I don't have that well, I don't know the person very well, but I can see that something is wrong. Maybe this is when you go to John Paddington. Maybe this is when you go to Malcolm and say, Malcolm, I see you speak to so-and-so. Would you be, a, be in a position? Because there might be something, I might be wrong, but you know, I think they might need more of your help depending on mm. our relationships. Yeah, yeah. And creating that safe space. So um in in the east when we when when we had that um teaching actually but it was to we had a women's class isn't it and we gave our numbers as, as well that you know feel free to contact us so people now contact us uh because they feel safe and i mean the first thing we did was to actually outline um that this is confidential um don't break people's con when we you know you know someone's condition you don't break their confidentiality sometimes we do it in the in the name of let's pray for so and so they're struggling with da 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 and by so doing we're actually breaking confidentiality of their illness so that safe place has been created so people will text or call and say hey i'm experiencing this or this with my medication what shall i do i'm having these side effects and then we can help and sign posts so that self-environment is, is really important. It's a really good point. I, th I think one of the challenges 
uh, in the Christian community is that we want to respect confidentiality, but then sometimes we hear things which are quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, as again, professionals, because you understand these borderlines of things better than most of us would. Um, what under what circumstances might a Christian say, having heard something from another Christian that really worried them, under what circumstances might they, or how would they deal with that if they think that person's in danger? How, how would you sort of pro- deal with that, do you think? You want to go, Sakai? Okay, I'll go. <laughs> All right, so... Um, okay, so in, 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 in well, in, in, in healthcare or in, in medical field, we actually, even to our, to our patients, we do say we, we keep confidentiality to extend if there's risk to life, to yourself or to others, we'll break confidentiality. So that's acceptable within NHS. I work in a private organization. We'll make sure we let our, our clients or patients know that. So in a Christian environment, I mean, um, like the things would consider to really not keep, like if there's risk to life, someone is um, verbalizing serious suicidal ideas and they are talking uh, clearly about ending their life, that would be very concerning. If somebody is, um, symptoms are getting worse, let's say, especially like um, auditory hallucinations, they are hearing uh, the voices that are clear, um, voices that are, um, are commanding in nature to them. And then they say, but please don't tell tell somebody you are the only one I'm telling you about this. That would be concerning to me because it, anything that's commanding, if the voices are telling them to do something, um, I'll give an extreme example. It's a sister who's saying, every night I just hear this voice say, oh, strangle your husband. I, you know, that's something I can't keep ignoring because it, we know, uh, Nose and I know that we have nest people who have actually gone ahead and obeyed those um, voices. Um, they have killed, they've done things to people because of hearing these voices. So anything of a commanding nature in hallucinations that would actually warrant it to, to break confidentiality. Of course, on, on breaking confidentiality, I would tell the person, the person will be told that what you have told me because of this distressing nature, I, 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 will, I won't be able to do, do to keep this. We have to do something about this. So in, in terms of um, mental health, if it's somebody not within service, I will support for them to get help. So support for them to, to, ref, to refer them uh, that they get help. Um, the other, was the other thing is is, is suicide or oh, I have already mentioned suicide. Yeah. 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 Okay. No, so you can add someone. Um yeah, you I think um there is very little to add to what you have said, Sakai. Anything that breaches any safety for mm-hmm. anyone, whether the person who is um telling you this um in confidence or the safety of somebody else they are talking about with threats of harm to themselves, threats of harm to other people needs to be reported. That needs to be escalated because um, as the Kaya said, there are command hallucinations and some people have gone on to act on them and it places everybody at risk. So those, if you, you know, serious threats to anyone uh, or somebody's um, safety, then we have to escalate those things. We cannot keep, things like that to ourselves, because if then it's acted upon and you haven't said anything, uh, we are accomplices as well in that. Got it. Yeah. So as sake of argument, uh, I'm talking to a member of the church and they say, um, I don't think I can carry on. I'm thinking of ending it all. I've got three bottles of paracetamol at home. I'm going to go home drink a bottle of wine, take 
a boatload of paracetamol. I think that's what I'm going to do tonight or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Then yes. clearly that's one of those situations where I need to contact somebody. But where would I start? Mm -hmm. You'll start because um, I assume the person is not um, is with you at that particular time. Let's say but so. they're saying when they go home, they'll do this. I would keep them there while they're saying that. Nowadays, we are, we are blessed. It's not like, uh, you know, 15 years ago when we didn't have any mobile phones. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you can actually text. Um, and the, sometimes you just have to ring the crisis team, ring their GP. Um, you don't necessarily have to ring like the police. It depends on what you are talking, this person is talking about. But like this one, because this is a safety issue, they are threatening to take their own lives. And they are telling you they've got what we call active plans where somebody is going to do these things because they are with you. I must, they are not going to be do, doing it there and there. I would go home with them. And this again, we go back to what we know best. We go back to, can we pray with you? Can I go with you home? Can, we, can I take these away from you? Whatever you can say to prolong that. What, whereas at the same time, if you've got your phone, you know, text to Sakai and saying, I've got a situation here. Would you be able to help me? Do we call the police? There will be somebody who would know exactly how to go about these things. Each um, region where people live, and I would suggest this to the leaders of our, find out what your mental health crisis team number is, because they mm -hmm. work 24-7, seven days a week. You can mm. get somebody to come and help there and there. They can come and do assessments there and there on a person. And then mm. you're saving yourself, you're saving that person. So it's very important to mm. all of us know our crisis numbers where we live. It will mm. save a life. Actually, crisis team can, um, because I worked closely with them in the community, they can actually speak with the client there and then. So if the, the, the concern is really imminent there, you call them, they will then speak to the client um, and they can take over from there. Um, mm. Also, there is the 111, isn't it? The 111 number that people can ring and say, I've got somebody here who is acting like this. There, there is um, so much help out there before, you know, we uh, because you want people to trust you and you have to say, unfortunately, I can't keep this to myself because you are making these threats and I'm really, I'm doing this out of love because I love you, um, because I care about you. I'm not actually um, dressing you up as the um, people would uh, use that language nowadays. I just care really deeply about you and I want to help you and I know people can help you. And also it would actually probably sometimes it's, it's cry for help. They actually don't want to take their life. So it goes back to probing. Sit, sit them down, cup of tea, tell me what's happening. And then it will transpire, I have lost my job. I've ever been paid my bills. So they really don't want to kill themselves, but they were just crying for help. So you may actually then ending up talking and, 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 and laughing. And then you can say, okay, you're going to throw away the pills and they may say they want then from there maybe you may then talk about referring to things like debt plan because the issue that's making them is the debt they're in or whatever then they can go there if it's job okay can i help you with your cv so they just utter that statement is crying for help it's often the case mm. yes so it's a really it sounds like a question going back to the probing uh, thing you've mentioned there, but also earlier, one of you mentioned, there's an art, I suppose, or perhaps it's experience of probing without being um, aggressive, because it, it, right, you you don't want to make them feel like they're being having an interview or being in the, under an inquisition. <clears throat> but you want you want them to you want to give them the opportunity to open up about yeah, what's yeah. going on. Yeah. So it's, I guess it's about a gentle and patient probing. Yeah. Is that right? That, that's right. With open questions. Open questions. What, what is happening? You keep quiet. So you are, you, when you say how, what's happening, it's it's abroad. You give them chance to talk. Um, other than as you're saying, that not being aggressive, what's happening 
brother, let's open the scriptures right now. Let's read what's happening. So it's, tell me, brother, what's happening? Can you tell me more? Can you explain more about what you have said? So that gives them space to talk. So probing really needs less talking on or, or, or on the side of the prober, yeah, mm. and more listening. Give the person the chance to to, to answer questions. Unfortunately, it's um, it's not a skill for everyone. Um, um, you know, it, well, for us it comes with training. In 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 mental health, we have to do a lot of that. And that's why our colleagues in general nursing, they, they normally say, you guys, how can you spend an hour with the client? Because our assessments are one hour to half an hour mm -hmm. because we have to listen. We ask, we listen. And, and you start, if you are assessing somebody who is suspicious, they will obviously not want to talk. So it's a lot of those open-ended questions, pause, allow that pause and to, to, to listen until the person speaks. So probing is well. People have to go to be comfortable with silence, which some people find it difficult when they ask a question and it's, and it's not answered, they want to fill in with something. Mm -hmm. So you have to be comfortable with the silence to give the person a chance to speak. Yeah, and to actually ask, when, Sekai, can I ask, when you say this, is this what you mean? Make sure we know exactly no assumptions, there's no room for assumptions here, because otherwise we, um, we, we, we give the wrong advice, completely the wrong advice. Mm -hmm. So if, if you think this is not really clear, you go back and say, okay, I heard you say, or I hear you say, can you just repeat, what, how does that look for you? Because for me, this is how it's looking, it's looking like, but I might be wrong. Can you explain it from your point of view? I, I, am I hearing right that you are saying you're going to take those uh, pills when you get home? How mm. many do you have? Where are they? You know, those open-ended questions where you don't give somebody just a room to say yes, no, because that is not helpful. Because I want to know if somebody just says yes, no. So I need them to talk. I've sat with somebody for nearly two hours when they were not talking, just to sit there. And then, you know, they were, we just said, it was awkward to, honestly, it was the most awkward situation I've ever been. But from there, it was very humbling after some time when the patient came, I think days later and said, that made so much difference to know that you were there. I just felt so safe knowing that you were there. So sometimes it's just to be a befriender to someone. That's all people need. Well, not all they need, but it might be the first step to them and then getting, getting, making progress towards actually finding what's going to help them the most. If we don't yeah. start with that listening, that befriending, I suppose it's a kind of deep love to be able to be silent with somebody is a really mm -hmm. deep love because it's really quite sacrificial. I want to make sure we haven't missed anything. And there's just, there's one question on my mind and then if there's anything we haven't talked about you think would be good to mention, then please mention mm -hmm. it if you've missed anything. But um, one of the questions on my mind is, are there any particular um, scriptures in the Bible or passages in the Bible, examples of things of, that occurred in the Bible that you find particularly helpful in either in either helping other people to understand maybe that God is in this and God is with them in this and God loves them despite what they're feeling or going through. So either you might share with them all scriptures or passages from the Bible that help you with your hearts and your attitude and your actions towards people who are struggling. Anything like that? Yeah, for me, I think it's Romans 15, verse 13, which says, may the God of hope, that word hope there, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Because when you have got that hope, you've got that peace. As you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope. Because all you want somebody is to have that deep hope, to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what you need in somebody, that hope. Because 
for somebody to keep coming or somebody to call you to say, I'm feeling this way, there is a tiny little bit of hope there. Mm. So you want them to be overflowing with hope and filling them with, okay. And you ask them at that particular time, this is when it's very important, brother, I think what has helped me in the past brother is or sister is praying, knowing that God doesn't judge me. I come to him. He knows I am broken because even Jesus wept. He wept when Lazarus died. You know, he, he was really, really aggrieved. And our souls will be aggrieved. If the son of man himself actually cried, we will cry at some point. We are not exempt. We live in this world. Even Jesus was here. He cried. He was so overwhelmed with grief when, um, you know, even when he was going to the cross. So we will have pain. And sometimes our souls will be so burdened. But Romans 15 really, really resonates with me. And I love it. Even for me, when I'm going through difficult times, just to know that, you know, the God of hope. Mm. That's, a really, that's a really interesting insight there, Nossi, I'd never thought about, which is that the very fact you're having a conversation with somebody indicates there is a, even if it is only a small amount of hope, there is some hope. Mm. And so mm. we're not starting from zero. We're yeah. starting from something. Mm -hmm. And prayerfully, we can build on that. That's a really that's interesting good. thought. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um looking at the this pandemic situation and what we have been through and um like like i said earlier on that it, it has triggered mental illness there are people who actually started suffering from mental illness from this pandemic period um the story that encourages me or that i use to encourage some people i've talked to is the story of of, of joseph um what he went through and um, the years he spent in um, working, taken to, to, to a foreign country and being put in prison. Um, and he, talking about hope, he, he remained hopeful. He, um, he, he sustained himself by, we don't know where he get the strength to carry on. So it's just to think of that, that hope that eventually things worked out for, for him. Um, when the butler remembered him, they, they forgot him for those, so many years, but he, he remembered him in the end. And, and just to know that we, life has thrown a lot of things to people right now. Mm -hmm. uh, people have lost jobs. Um, circumstances have changed drastically for many people. And um, we know in mental illness that when things are like this, the pressures are like this, people get depressed because this is the condition that has um, really affected a lot of people. So with that, and just thinking of, of the story of Joseph that eventually things worked out for, for, for them. And just to know that when things are, when things are dark like this, the light will be there uh, even yeah. when you start not seeing it it's there at the end of the tunnel mm -hmm. um and um my go to scripture is uh, psalm 121 i lift my eyes uh, to the hills that's where my help comes from and i find that just really um encouraging because there was a time i mean last year last year around this time it was like you know, hopeless when you, those huge numbers of people dying every day and everything, it's just lifting the eyes to, to the hills because the, mm -hmm. there was nothing else to do. But if you lift the eyes to God, he is the one who, who, who helps and sustains. Yeah, amen. And Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, fear not for I am with you, be not dismayed. So that all alone for me really, really um, helps me for mm -hmm. I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, just fills me with so much hope and with so much faith. Even when I sit down and help someone, I know that, you know what, God is always here with, with us, no matter mm -hmm. what happens, whether we are broken or not broken, nothing ever surprises him. So, yeah. Fantastic.
Gosh, those are great scriptures. I'm going to make sure I have those to hand. Um, so just before we finish, is there anything we didn't talk about that you just like to make sure you want to mention? Anything else that's helpful? I just wanted to add as well that um, organizations like um, the, I always call them the good Samaritans. They're called the Samaritans, not mm -hmm. the good Samaritans. So to, it's always to, to, to give um, um, members this information as well, because they are really helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, if people are really in a dark place, um, because as disciples, we can support each other to a certain extent. And sometimes like if it's midnight, 2 a.m. and the thoughts are overwhelming, you may feel, oh, I can't call people this late. The Samaritans are always a go-to area 24-7. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, they, they are helpful. Um, another thing I, I want to mention as well, because I wouldn't finish this without talking what's dear to my heart. Substance misuse, especially alcohol abuse mm -hmm. has gone up. Um, during this period, and as disciples, we are not immune, and you know we 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 do we drink, we don't get drunk, but you find that alcohol intake has increased because of people uh, being alone, and this is actually something that's very difficult for Christians to talk about, to admit that they got an um, alcohol problem. So that's something to just. You know, be thinking about and talking to people in general that, you know, if the intake has creeped to the extent that you can't not have a drink daily, then it's going to bad places. It's really important to seek for help. We do know that among religious groups, it becomes really difficult. And sometimes people go, they then dip into dependency because they have not talked about it uh, sooner. Yes, I'm actually I'm glad you mentioned that because um, yeah, we didn't get there, but that is a major contributor sometimes to emotional and mental health issues mm -hmm. uh, and has a knock on effect, right? It can make yeah. conditions much worse or can bring on conditions. So uh, we should do a whole nother thing about uh, addictions, actually, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and there because there are so many and, you know, whether it's social media or alcohol, or mm. there are different ways for us to be, to satisfy that addictive part of so many of our natures. I think almost all of us have a predilection to addiction on, on yeah. in some oh, area. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. perhaps more than others, but mm -hmm. none of us are immune from that challenge. I, I mm -hmm. think we should come back and have another talk about that another time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole lot of topic on its own. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It is yeah. indeed. Yeah. Oh, gosh, this is tremendously helpful. I have enough material here for several lessons, I think, and things. So, uh, good. Um, perhaps we should pray. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. If I lead us in prayer? Yeah, thank you, Michael. Okay, let's do that. Father, I want to thank you so much for the time we spent together. Um, I feel refreshed talking about this because, Father, we know that in all of the in all of the pain in this world you you are in all of it you're not separate from this pain the pain of emotional health issues of mental health challenges mm. addiction problems father you're not you're not distant you don't hold yourself off away far from this you are here with us and you're with everybody who's going through yeah. these challenges and father it's just good to talk about it together as mm. um as fellow believers and i pray I pray you'd help um, help our churches um, to find the right way to dismantle the stigma around this. Mm. Help us to be more comfortable with being vulnerable with each other. Mm. Help us to learn better how to be silent and to listen. Um, help us to learn better how to be vulnerable and open and honest with each other. Mm. Help us to not fear being um, real um but to really trust you god mm. um i pray for those who are currently struggling in whatever part of the church they're in father people right now perhaps who aren't getting the help they need mm. I pray god that they'd they'd find a reason to to hold on to the hope that Nossi mm. talked about god that you there's never no hope 
Um, mm. Sometimes I know we all feel like sometimes there isn't, but there always is some. And I pray that no, no member of any of our churches would ever believe there is no hope. Mm. Uh, Father, mm. Father, please make me and Nossi and Sakai, Father, make us the kinds of people that will show people there is hope with you. And, and help us to teach other disciples so that they can themselves offer hope to people. Mm -hmm. May we be congregations of healing, healing on all levels, God. Uh, healing of our, us, the soul, the spirit, the mind, the heart, the body too at times, Father. Help us to be the kinds of people that bring the healing of your kingdom to as many people as possible. Thank you for this time. I do pray a blessing on all three of us the rest of our day. Help us to be ambassadors of light and love to the people mm. we're around today. In mm. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been brilliant. Thanks. I'll be in touch again soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, a huge thank you to Nossi and Sekai for what they shared. What struck you? What stood out to you as might be helpful to you for your own issues or in helping other people? I'd like to know what you think. So drop me an email, malcolm at malcolmcox.org, or leave a comment anywhere you hear or see this recording. This is the second of our two classes. We will post more materials in the future, but that's it for now. If you have any suggestions about future classes on these topics, then do please let me know. Again, email me. And you'll find on various outlets, including my own website, some other materials which people have suggested to me that may be useful for other people. So if you go to my website, you'll see them. That's Malcolm. Cox.org. MalcolmCox.org. There's a page there on mental health and emotional well-being, and you, you may find some useful things there. Well, thanks very much. Thanks again to Nossi. Thanks to Sekai. Hope this is helpful. We are in the darkness sometimes, but we are not alone in the darkness. We have God, and prayerfully, we also have each other. Till the next time, take care, and God bless.